Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new and settling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. One night, I went to the bar with one of my friends. I had just turned 21, so I hadn't been to many bars up to that point. My friend was drinking on the way to the bar, so he was already pretty hammered when he landed. When I sat at the bar, a cute girl came up to me and talked to both me and my friend. She said her name was Candace, and I couldn't help but notice that she had really bright red hair. I assumed that she dyed it. It was pretty, albeit a bit unnatural. Anyway, this girl was flirting with me and my friend. She could tell my friend was already drunk. So, to be honest, I played along as if I was already drunk too, since it seemed to be working for my friend. I didn't know if she was trying to just get free drinks, so I told her that we didn't have much money. She offered to buy us drinks. She kept buying us drinks, and I started to get confused as to who she liked between both me and my friend. My friend got up to head to the bathroom, and before he came back, he was kicked out by the bouncers for obviously being too drunk. Candace and I went outside with him. She kept telling him that he should come home with her. He was so out of it though, he could barely answer. I told her that he was too drunk and that I couldn't let him go anywhere. I didn't want him to wake up hungover in some random house with no car and zero idea what happened. Candace kept pushing though, saying that she would take care of him. But I told her no because I had to stay with him. I was more sober than he was, and I felt like he was my responsibility. I told her the only way he was going anywhere was if I tagged along as well. I assumed that she thought that I was jealous or cock-blocking my friend, but he could barely stand and had lost interest in Candace by this point. She immediately began flirting with me and even offered to get my friend a taxi to drive him home. That way we could head to her place, alone. At this point, I had a few drinks in me and I was pretty buzzed, so I agreed to that plan. We took my friend to the taxi, and then I walked her to her car. I slightly stumbled on the way. Wow, you're pretty drunk, huh? She said smiling as she held on to my arm. I was able to stammer out the word, yeah. I don't know why, but I just felt slightly shy and anxious around her. Everything was just happening too easily for me, and that's what led me to feeling unease with the situation. We hopped in the car and began driving down the street. The first thing that she says is, want to stop at the liquor store and get some more to drink? I'll buy so you don't have to worry about paying. I didn't want to drink any more than I already did. I was already buzzed and wanted to be able to carry myself throughout the rest of the night. Sometimes I made myself look a bit stupid when I was drunk so I didn't want to ruin anything with Candace. I told her I was already drunk enough but she insisted. I didn't want to seem lame, so I told her to get me a pint of liquor with some apple juice to chase it. I know, big guy, right? She went in the store and came out with a lot more than just a pint. I assumed she wanted to drink more also, and that's why she got a fifth. On the ride to her place, we passed the bottle back and forth, but she took only tiny sips. 
I tried to take tiny sips as well, but she kept passing me the bottle and urging me to drink. I was somehow able to discreetly finish all of my apple juice before turning that bottle into a receptacle for me to slyly spit alcohol into. Once nearly full, I hugged that bottle right out the window while she wasn't looking. I didn't want her to know that I had dodged all those extra swigs, so by the time we got to the front of her house, I had turned the drunk acting up just a little bit. I didn't want her to know that I was only buzzed, and I really wanted to keep my wits about me this evening. You see, throughout the car ride, I called her the wrong name a couple of times, basically in an attempt to get a reaction out of her. But she didn't flinch. She just kept letting me call her Carla without correcting me. This weirdness had me feeling like she lied about giving me her real first name in the first place. When we got out of the car to walk up to her house, I pretended to trip and stumble into her front door. She helped me walk inside by holding me up. She opened her front door, which was unlocked, and we walked right in. She closed the door behind us, and then deadbolted it shut. I thought that was strange, but assumed she didn't want anyone walking in on us. I told her that I had to use the bathroom. So I walked into the restroom, locked the door, and looked myself in the mirror. I just felt strange, like something was off. I felt a touch wobbly, like I was more drunk than I remembered being just a few minutes earlier. I turned on the sink to make noise and made myself puke up the liquor that I just finished. I flushed and went to the sink, started drinking the tap water out of my hands, doing the best I could to sober up. I just didn't want to be drunk then but I still wanted to hook up with Candace, so I was going to pretend to be drunk. I turned the sink off, and I could hear her talking to someone. He's drunk as hell. He can barely stand up. You do it. Who is she talking to? And do what? I walked out of the bathroom and headed for the TV room. But the moment that I stepped into it, I saw her walking into another room. All I could see was the back of her head, that strange, very bright red hair, right at the edge of what I can only guess was a bedroom. I couldn't see her face or anything at this point. I just saw her kind of walk fast into the room. Hey, where are you going? I slurred out. She walked back into the dark living room and up to me, saying, let's go into my room. I looked at her bright red hair and then into her eyes. But they were different. Her face was different. It was another girl with that same hair. That's when I realized it was another girl with that same wig on. It had been a wig the whole time. My heart felt like it had stopped, but I tried to look like I had no idea that it was a different girl. I smiled at her and told her that I needed to use the bathroom one more time, and I apologized that I wasn't able to hold my bladder. She said something like, it's fine, just hurry up and get in here. I went into the bathroom and locked the door behind me. I heard her whisper something to someone once more. Only this time, I think I heard a male's voice whisper back. I honestly didn't concentrate on listening to exactly what she said. Something sketchy was going on, and I knew that I had to get out of that house. I opened the bathroom window that thankfully opened far enough for me to slide my body out of. Once my feet hit the ground... I ran faster than I ever had in my life in an attempt to put blocks and miles if I could between me and that house. I ran through the backyard first, 
hopped the fence, ran through someone else's backyard, finally hit a road, and oriented myself to run towards the main road. I kept running down the main road until I saw a 24-hour convenience store. I bolted through the parking lot, stood straight in front of the main doors, right in front of the security camera. That's where I called a taxi from, and eventually got myself home. For the rest of the night and into the next morning, I tried to figure out what had happened. What was she, or they, planning that night? Why did she tell me a fake name? What was with the fake hair? Why was she trying to get my friend and I so drunk? I thought maybe a robbery, but she kept spending money on us, so that didn't really make sense. She kept buying us drinks and even paid for my friend's taxi home. Who was the other girl that she handed that wig off to? Who was she talking to? What did it all mean? And what was in that room that they tried to lure me into? The following day, I went back to that house with a couple of friends just to see what was going on. There was nobody there. No cars, no people, nothing. Just an empty house. I ended up finding out that the house was a summer rental. And whoever those people were, they broke into the house the night before and used it only for that night, never to come back. It might go without saying at this point, but Candace with the red wig and friends, I can only hope that we don't ever happen to meet again. This story takes place in 1999, when I was a stupid 18-year-old kid with nothing better to do than cruise around at night. At the time, I lived in a very small town in Southern California, and the only places open after dark were the pharmacy, some fast food restaurants, and a super gross bar. So, like all kids, I made my own entertainment. I spent a lot of time driving around with friends, listening to the radio, and just talking. It beat just sitting around our parents' houses, I guess. But after one particularly terrifying encounter that summer, I was just fine hanging out in our cozy, well-lit homes. One night, my friend Shauna and I decided to do our usual loop around the main part of town, out behind the high school and back to our houses via the freeway. We'd been driving for about an hour, and it was nearly 11pm now, when we decided to do one last loop before calling it a night. Along the way, we noticed some guys in another car. I don't remember how many there were, but at least two the driver, and the passenger, but there may have been more. We first noticed them at a red light, stopped in the lane to our left. Hey, the guy over there is checking you out, my friend said. I tried to play it cool and pretended like I was looking at the totally boring scenery. Oh wow, an abandoned gas station. I just have to see this. Oops, caught your eye. Sure enough, the passenger of the car next to us was absolutely checking me out. I don't really remember what he looked like, but it was the 90s, and this was a real white trash town, so probably looked like Fred Durst. Anyway, I gave him a small smile, turned up our radio, and sped off the moment that the light changed. The car stayed a normal distance behind us, and my friend kept looking over her shoulder, telling me to slow down so we could see if they were cute. I wasn't creeped out or anything, I just wasn't interested in playing flirt tag with some dudes, so I maintained my pace. By the time we got to the next light, they'd gotten behind me and switched lanes so they were pulled up to the right of our car. 
my friend immediately glanced over. The driver gave her the what's up nod, and I could see their passenger leaning forward to try to get a look at us. Shauna gave them a little wave as the light changed, and we took off once more. A few blocks later, I pulled up to a stop sign where you could either go straight or turn right. The other car, who had been a couple car lengths behind us and to our left, sped up to catch us at the stop sign and jerked into the right-hand turn lane. They were slightly behind our car, but we could hear them shouting, Hello? My friend turned to look at the driver and saw him leaning out of his window, motioning for us to follow them, rather loudly. Nope, wasn't going to happen. Red light flirting was one thing, but neither of us were so desperate to meet boys that we'd follow them in a car late at night, especially when there was nowhere to even go. She waved goodbye, and we drove off heading to the freeway entrance. In my rearview mirror, I saw their car flip around from wherever they'd been heading and start to try to catch up with us. I got onto the freeway, hoping they wouldn't follow, but wouldn't you know they did. They stayed a few car lengths behind us, but kept switching lanes. Now, if this happened today, I'd call highway patrol on my cell, but back then, neither of us had one. And at this point, I wasn't certain we were in danger but I knew that something felt off. Their car continued to switch lanes behind us for a couple of miles, but they never really did try to catch up with us. Eventually, I hit a part of the freeway that was a bit more populated, and I began to calm down. They're probably just heading downtown, we said, or maybe to the beach. I bet they just wanted to try to talk to us. We cranked up the radio, decided to drive a little further out, and thought we'd lost the car. But we were wrong. About 15 minutes later, we'd exited the freeway and turned around to head home. I'd been driving for a couple of minutes when I see a car pull off the shoulder of the road and begin to follow us. At first, I thought it was a speed trap, but almost instantly, I saw that it was the same car from earlier. They'd been waiting for us on the side of the road. They pulled up alongside my car on the passenger side, and in my peripheral vision, I could see the driver gesturing angrily to us. Neither of us could tell what he was saying, but Shauna started shouting, I don't know, I don't know, in response and doing an I'm sorry gesture with her hands. I tried to keep my eyes on the road, but I was also like, holy fuck, what's going on? So I kept glancing over. And that's when it happened. The driver elevated a gun from his lap and tapped it on the inside of his car window pointed at us. Shauna immediately threw her seat back, which, like, yeah girl, save yourself, but thanks for giving them a clear shot at me. I looked over and saw the driver's face, which was absolutely furiously contorted with rage. He was shouting so hard that I remember seeing spit all over their window, which he was still tapping that gun against. I don't know what kind of gun it was. Black? Dangerous looking? I began reviewing a mental map of the area, trying to figure out the easiest way to get to a police station. We were about six exits from where we started, and I knew there was a fire station pretty close to there, so I decided to floor it and try to outrun them. I quickly gained distance and pulled into their lane, which was the fast lane, and closest to the exits. They were driving some kind of Toyota sedan, and I was in a Honda with a lot of pickup, so I managed to clear out pretty fast but they caught up. 
They pulled into the lane to my right, and I could see the driver waving his arm outside the window. The passenger was flipping us off out of his window, and then pulled out what looked like a crowbar, waving it from his side of the car like a f***ing warboy looking for victory on Fury Road. I'm getting off at the next exit, and I'm heading to the fire station, I told Shauna. They're basically cops, right? Or they can call the cops, and we're going to be fine. I said this as I was reaching over to grab her hand. Bitch was still flat, but she was crying and shaking, so I'll cut her some slack. Today, 20 plus years later, I'm the mom of a toddler, and I've still never felt the intense pressure of responsibility more than I felt in that moment. I had to keep us calm and safe and get us far away from these guys. The next exit was approaching and they hadn't quite caught up or moved back into our lane. I quickly exited the freeway, heard them pass, and immediately gunned it for the fire station, hoping all the firemen were having a midnight party with armed police present. I hadn't gone very far when I see the car tearing ass to catch back up with us. All I can think is that they flipped a U-turn on the freeway and drove the wrong way to double back to the exit because nothing else really made sense. I ran a red light, hoping to God a hidden cop would pull me over, but no such luck. They were about a block or so behind us. With one eye in my rear view, I drove as quickly as I could, hoping they were done trying to scare us and they'd fall back. But instead, by the grace of God or karma or whatever you believe in, their car either hit some kind of debris in the road or they simply lost control because they crashed into a mailbox on the sidewalk and slammed to a stop. I saw the driver get out as I was peeling away, and I swear to God I almost peed my pants with relief and gratitude. Now, before you comment that the gun was probably fake, let me tell you the last part of this story. As we were driving off, we heard the sound of a gunshot come from behind us. I didn't look back, but Shauna sat up to look, and she said that she saw the driver standing in front of their car, aiming the gun in our direction. I quickly turned in the direction of the fire station, just as we heard another shot. I get to the station and, for the second time that night, felt like some divine presence was watching over us. There were three police cruisers outside with cops standing around talking, and told you it was a small town. I pulled over, told them the story, and embarrassingly, Fear vomited halfway through. The cops were so nice and immediately went to look for the guys. One stayed behind to get our full statements and made sure that we were okay. I'll never, ever forget what she said to me. You must have done some fine outrunning tonight, and I'm glad you finished the race in one piece. Here's what I know. They didn't catch the guys that night, and if they ever did, I never heard about it. They were driving a stolen car with stolen plates. We gave her statements, and I kept my eye on the news for the next few months, but I never saw or heard anything about similar reports. Here and now, Shauna and I are still friends and often reminisce about that night. Neither of us has any theories about what their intent was, but I think that comes from just not wanting to say it out loud, because I certainly have a feeling. So, in honor of this fine subs tradition, Late 90s, probably Fred Durst-looking motherfucker, and your gun-toting buddy? Let's not meet. I was recently reading a story that reminded me of an event from over 20 years ago. In the latter half of 1998, 
I had taken a job as a security guard at a plant that made locks. Being the new guy, I usually worked one of three shifts, 4 p.m. to midnight, 7.30 p.m. to 3.30 a.m., and 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. That 7.30 to 3.30 shift was for extra coverage, so there were always two of us there from 7.30 to midnight. It was a routine, boring job for the most part. We did our rounds, logged anything out of the ordinary, and watched a tiny monitor displaying the CCTV feed. Things went by in an almost painfully normal manner for six months. I worked, saved, bought a car, and planned to move. By late March of 1999, I served my notice and prepared to head cross-country. A new hire was brought in to fill my post, a soft-spoken guy named Calvin. As part of his training, Calvin spent time working at all hours. At night, he was a shadow, working with myself and the other night guard, getting a feel for the plant's nocturnal routines. Most nights, he worked with myself and Amira, a female guard who was around my age. I was 18 at the time. Calvin, who was about a decade older than us, was quiet and polite, though something seemed to be missing. There's a spark that genuinely nice people seem to have, and he did not possess it. Whenever he went on rounds with me, he'd ask questions about the job and make small talk. I noticed that he was a little odd, laughing at odd times and changing his tone mid-sentence. At the time, I chalked it up to him just being awkward. But that benign feeling didn't last. One night, near the end of his first week, he went on rounds with Amira. When they returned to the office, I knew something was wrong. Normally talkative, she would barely say a word. Not sure what had occurred, I waited until Calvin had gone to the restroom, and I asked. During their trip, everything had been normal until they reached the brass mill, a portion of the plant that shut down at 6pm. There were usually no employees there after that time, and no lights. They were making their way to a checkpoint on a landing atop a flight of stairs, when the mood suddenly shifted. She told me that she turned around only to find that he was right on top of her. Startled, she backed against the grating at the end of the landing, and he leaned in towards her, his face nearly touching hers. He flirted in a low voice, and when she mentioned his wedding band, he said it would be over soon. From then on, I did the rounds, taking Calvin with me each time. The night ended without further incident, and I left a note for our supervisor detailing what had occurred. The next night came and went with no Calvin. I did the rounds while Amira stayed in the locked office. Same thing the night after. Then, on my second to last shift, I come in to find her freaking out. She found out why Calvin hadn't been at work. Apparently, he had been arrested for murdering his wife. She had been dismembered and burned parts of her body placed in a pond less than a mile from where we worked. That night and the next, Amira called the jail just to make sure they were still holding him. Based on the time frame of it all, it seems that he had killed his wife months before starting the job. He had reported her missing six months before all this happened, and when authorities went to the mobile home that he and his wife shared, they uncovered a scene suggesting that someone had been murdered there. It simply took them until late March to gather enough evidence to charge Calvin. 
I followed the case even after I moved away, and I believe that Calvin got 20 years for his actions. That means that at this point, Calvin is out after doing his time. But if past behavior is any type of prediction of the future, I truly hope that Calvin never remarries.